This is Climate Justice, y'all, a podcast dedicated to lifting up and centering the climate and environmental justice movement in the South. Despite the South being the most biodiverse, diverse, and one of the largest economic engines in the world, we are underfunded and often barred from the decision-making table. Because of that, we decided to pull up a chair and amplify the stories of communities in the South hit the hardest by the climate crisis. We're using good old-fashioned storytelling to shine a spotlight on these Southern leaders from all walks of life, putting in their blood, sweat, and tears to transform the region. The usage of y'all in the title is on purpose. We are honoring our Southern heritage of creativity, resilience, and ingenuity. All right, y'all, it is season two of Climate Justice Y'all. Let's get started. Hey, y'all, I'm your host, Marisha Malcolm, and I'm joined by the fabulous Abigail Franks. When talking about the climate crisis, people tend to frame it as the acts of future generations. But what about the young people alive today who live in that future as well? It is to no surprise that young people are leading the way for climate action and are pushing for our communities to have the opportunity to thrive. Today, we are bringing in youth activist Jasmine Butler from the Power Shift Network to talk about the need to co-learn with youth and the importance of revolutionary optimism. Climate justice, y'all. It's real. It's here. And it's about time we listen to youth activists like Jasmine Butler. All right, let's get started with the show. Hello. Hello. Good afternoon. Um, Today, we have someone fabulous from the Power Shift Network to talk about youth activism and stuff. And they're calling in from Texas, right? And y'all are experiencing like, what'd you say? Biblical portion floods? Yes, it's actually ridiculous. Like I said, Texas, it's either drought most of the year or when we do get rain, it's like Jesus himself sent the floodwaters. Like it's pretty bad. So lots of folks right now are out organizing and trying to check on our neighbors. Insane. Well, I mean, I guess that's the whole point of this episode. Uh, This is all really, really timely. (laughs) But could we start off with you introducing yourself and the organization you work with? Yeah, for sure. Uh, Thanks again so much for having me, y'all. So my name is Jasmine. Like Abby said, um, I am 22 years old, soon to be 23. I almost slipped up and said that, but my birthday is not here yet. (laughs) I was born and raised in Memphis, so I am a Southerner through and through, but am currently based in Dallas, Texas. And I'm a network organizer with PowerShift Network. And so PowerShift is a network of youth climate justice organizations and kind of justice organizations broadly. We're both a part of the SIN network and also SIN is a part of our network because we love each other that much Um, and basically you know my job is all about resourcing and supporting and training and funding and doing all the things um, for the youth climate movement and really responding to whatever those needs are Um, trying to keep our pulse on the movement and keep it moving forward Um, trying to exhibit great thought leadership and make sure that this movement is intersectional and bringing in all the right voices Um, and yeah trying to make sure that young people have what they need to sustain themselves in this work and not get burnt out and you know not repeat the wheel of mistakes from generations before That's dope. That's dope. So, so today's conversation is mostly about like the kids will be all right. Um, and that's also the, the, um, sorry, the name of this episode. So what does it mean for PSN to be intergenerational, meaning like the youth and elders and everyone that's like in between that age group and whatnot? How does PSN incorporate the youth and older generations into conversations um, about environmental activism? 
Yeah, so PSN, like I said, we are a youth-focused uh, climate network, but, you know, one, not only do we define youth broadly, you know, everywhere from high school age folks to, you know, college age and beyond and, you know, into the late 20s and early 30s, um, but also key to power shift in the way that we work is mentorship. We know that it's super important on an individual level for folks to, you know, have someone who can guide them and, and support them and teach them how to advocate for your community better, um, as well as we also know that, you know, mentors and older folks have also so much to learn from young people in return. Um, so we're all about conversations. We're all about making sure that young people are centered in the climate movement as we are the ones who are inheriting this planet, um, but also making sure that, yeah, that we're learning from older folks. So that looks like, you know, inviting uh, in our network. We don't have just you know, local orgs and mutual aid groups and all that kind of stuff that are run by young people. We also have some, you know, what some people know as big green, so bigger green organizations, as well as some other groups that are particularly led by older folks, Gen X and older folks, um, with the express purpose of making sure that we do have plenty of resources and mentorship moving throughout the network. So I guess the one thing is just having a broad variety of work and folks represented in our network so that when people need support or have calls to action or whatever that may be, that they're getting support from all across um, the scope. But yes, our big thing at PowerShift is our convergence coming up next April, um, 6th or the 8th. It's PowerShift 23. And so this is a weekend of trainings and workshops and actions and all these things where we try to bring together three to 5,000 young people to really activate them and skill them up so that they can go home to their communities and, and you know take charge. And so a big part of that is like, who do young people need to learn from? Who has the wisdom and the skills and the knowledge um, to share with you know more young people? So not only will we have young people training each other and and leading each other and learning from each other. But we're also, of course, going to have movement elders who have so much knowledge to share um, and vice versa. Because to us, we really know that there's so much knowledge held in all of our different experiences, including around age. Um, so we just want to make sure that we keep that knowledge circulating. Yes, y'all, make sure y'all check that out when it comes around. I know I'll be participating. I'm quite sure we'll see Abby in there as well. So yeah, just come on through. I... Oh yeah, I'm gonna try to go. But I am obsessed with the idea of like co-learning where it seems like y'all provide a space for young people to lead, but also to learn. And that is so important, especially with how we address the climate crisis and how we address any, basically any social justice issue that we inherited. Um, and so can you talk more about like why y'all, why, do youth need to lead and why do they need to learn? I know that's a super broad question, but just throwing that out there. Yeah, I appreciate it. Definitely a challenge. Um, in terms of why youth need to lead, I think, you know, it's really we don't want to lead into and fall into very ageist talking points in either direction, you know, saying that old people, you know, had their chance and they ruined the planet for us all and they shouldn't be making any decisions. Um, but we also don't want to, you know, say anything along the lines of, you know, these are these are young people's planets, you know, old people should have no decision-making power or we, we don't care about them and our decisions are only for us, you know, we only care about changing the world in the direction that we want to go. To. You know, it, it can be in both directions of the spectrum to, to harm more than it can to heal, but for us, it's all about making sure the young people, again, who will, who are inheriting this planet, who are inheriting issues that previous generations 
generations have seen it, but have, are also inheriting, again, so much knowledge and so much wisdom from previous generations. So for us, it's just about looking at what has the traditional climate movement been? Traditional climate movement has been very old, very white, very wealthy in a lot of ways historically. And it's really important to make sure that we're shifting away from previous practices of environmentalism that are only about conservation and are only about, you know, how can we, you know, keep these pristine parks and environments um, for a small select of people um, to access. But instead, if we're really talking about broadening how we think of the climate movement and making sure that it is justice for all, that means we have to talk about environmental justice. That means we have to talk about marginalized communities. And that means we have to talk about young people and the fact that by and large, our political decision makers in this country are, are not young. They're, you know, passing their prime in many ways and yet are making decisions that will impact us for the rest of our lives, you know, for example. So a big part of why, you know, listen to and why should you be, be leading um, is because they have opinions, thoughts, voices, so much creativity. Young people aren't nearly as bogged down by institutions and just the way things are and the status quo as our people who have, again, been in the status quo for much longer. Um, so I definitely think that's a big part of it. And then, you know, learning from young people, young, like I said, young people are so creative. I don't know if any of you have ever had classroom experience or work with like, you know, kids under 18, but they are so creative and so passionate and can come up with solutions that just seem so easy in their minds that, you know, older folks can come up with so many wide knots and young people are just like you know let's just do it let's just go for it so I think I learned all the time from people my age and younger because they have so much to teach us about not closing off our minds to just you know how have things always been done but you know how can we continue to innovate and try new things um so I think those are two of the big things that you know why we should lead and listen to young people you know there's so much to offer um and so much to learn when we don't close ourselves off to you know only who has the degrees and who are the experts you know we're all experts in our own experiences in some ways we're all different experts in the environment that we come from and in the ways of life we want to live. Young people know that they don't want to rely on sources of energy that are harming their planet. Young people want access to clean water. Young people want, you know, access to good food far into the future. We don't want drought. We don't want crops to fail. We want longevity that folks behind us have had. Um, and so I think listening to young folks is how we make sure that happens. 100% agreed. I love learning from like people my age, people younger than me, people older than me. It's, it's, I don't know. It's just something about all of us coming together and putting in our knowledge and just making a big old bowl of, I don't know, just knowledge, full information, a collection of things. It's really nice. I love it. The interaction that we have with each other for the most part. Yeah. So and my, oops, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say my thing, too, is that when it comes to a problem that is expansive and as interconnected as the climate crisis, like we have to have all hands on deck. And so the youth being able to provide a creative aspect of being like, why not? Like Jasmine was talking about. And also like the movement elders that Jasmine was talking about. I think when you combine unbridled creativity with lessons that have been learned over generations, like how can we not adapt to the climate crisis when everyone exactly is exactly you know that's the formula that's exactly the formula my whole thing right. personally and in the work that i do at psn is i'm all about movement history and political education we have so so much to learn from the movements before us like we are not the first ones to fight for environmentalism not even this decade not this generation not even the century in different ways historically and culturally people have always cared about the environment have always stewarded the environment people have always been having movements for different types of liberation that includes our natural environment 
So we have so much to learn from folks who were doing this work long before us that I think it's so easy to, you know, reinvent the wheel sometimes and try out old tactics that aren't really working anymore. But when we pause and we listen to our, you know, movement folks before us who are no longer here, but who have left us such rich texts and books and, and speeches and all that, and we listen to our movement elders who are still all around us and have so much to teach us, we can really be moving forward, you know, instead of reinventing the wheel and, and trying old things that don't work. Our government and the powers working against us, oil companies, all these folks, their like skill, their tactics and their skill book is advanced. Like they are sometimes three steps ahead and it can feel so frustrating. But when we put our heads together and we take advantage of all of the knowledge that we have available among all of us who are interested in justice, we are so powerful. Like we are unstoppable. Those companies know um, how powerful we are together and in coalition. So they strategically try to come out, um, come after us individually and try to silence young people and try to, you know, keep these really important conversations behind closed doors because they know that together we are way too powerful. Period. Okay. Yes, Abigail, period. <laughs> so I want to take it back before you joined PSN and when you were living in Tennessee. I know that there are a lot of climate injustice things going on in Tennessee as well as in Texas. And I just want to know, how did you get involved? Like, where did it start? When were you like, okay, I see that it's things going on. What can I do? How can I get involved? As a youth, I just want to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, for sure. I will say I'm definitely relatively recent to this work in the last couple of years, but whenever I talk to people and try to tell the story of what first got me interested in the environment, I always go back to the summer of 2011. Like I said, I'm from Memphis. We're right on the Mississippi River, but 11-year-old me at the time didn't quite understand geography. And so that summer, the river was rising. Every day on the news, they were saying how it's going to flood and how the you know water levels are getting too high, just like, you know, worrying about flooding. And so I was terrified because I, you know, I live in a neighborhood, which is right on one of the tributaries of the river. And although the newscasters kept saying that the flood was coming, they gave no information about what to do, how to prepare, what to, how, where to go. Like there was just nothing. It was just like, if the flood's coming, you're on your own. And so me, you know, I come from a low income family, the neighborhood I lived in, you know, hardly anybody owned their houses. We didn't have the funds to, you know, take off work and, and go away to some other state for a week while the flood water's happening, you know, like we just didn't have any opportunities, any resources. So little me, 11 year old me, I'm like terrified. Little did I know that again, Memphis is on up on bluffs geographically, which means we rarely get severe flooding from the river. Um, there are parts of town that do and that's uh, its own environmental justice issue because those parts of town are typically neglected. But by and large, the city doesn't actually get that affected by floods, but downstream they do. So I saw plenty of newscasts about places like New Orleans and other parts of the Gulf who did experience the flooding really terribly. Um, every year, it was always the same thing with tornadoes. Lots of tornado warnings, very little tornado information other than, you know, go get in a closet, you know? And so it just really started for me there when I had this really intense feeling of anxiety of like, there's a disaster coming, but me and the people like me who don't have a lot of money and don't have a lot of resources, we don't really have anything to do. We don't have anywhere to go. Like, you know, our houses aren't equipped for this. Like who is caring about us when it comes to disasters? And so a long time, and this is long before I knew what environmental justice was. This was long before I ever thought I would, you know, get involved in this work, but that was really the seed for me. Um, and so I went on to go to college um, in New Hampshire. And while there, you know, I met some really amazing folks who were doing organizing work. I, you know, never led any, you know, um, organizing for the most part in undergrad, but I learned to show up for actions and to show up for meetings and to demonstrations. I learned to advocate for whatever community you're in. So a big thing for me is when living somewhere, I try not to live like a tourist. I try to get rooted in that community and get to know those folks um, and be invested in that community as well. So when I was in New Hampshire, you know, the issues at the time were, 
you know, ICE collaborating with local police and um, the abuses of local farm workers. And so those were the issues that needed help. And in some ways, those absolutely were environmental issues. And so that's where I first got involved, for example, just per- perfectly, you know, showing up to actions and events, you know, supporting where I can. Um, and then I started working with PowerShift part time. And around that same time, um, back home, my city was under threat. So um, Valero and Plains All America um, were threatening to build a pipeline, the Bahia Access Pipeline, um, right through Memphis, um, and particularly through this small neighborhood called Boxtown, which is this historically black, but also historically low income community. Um, and this was obviously terrifying. These residents, you know, didn't really know what to do. Um, this oil company came out and explicitly said that we chose this route because we knew it would be the route of least resistance. They knew that it would be easiest because the actual more direct route for this pipeline would have been um, through a more wealthy neighborhood on another part of town. But they specifically chose this route because they said this would be the path of least resistance. These folks don't have the resources to fight us. They don't have the knowledge to fight us. They would never win. And little do you know, a year later, almost record time for stopping the pipeline, it was stopped. These amazing, amazing organizers, Justin Pearson, who's actually a mentor of mine, um, and some other folks put together a truly grassroots movement. Like Memphis does not have a big environmental justice presence the way some other cities might. There weren't already, you know, environmental justice orgs on the ground, but they people were like, look, we're not going to let this happen to this neighborhood. We're going to get together with these neighborhood members. We're going to get folks all over town to be invested. We're going to get together with the local, you know, kind of white environmental orgs who would just focus on the aquifer and, you know, who weren't really caring about environmental justice. They said, we're going to build a coalition and we're going to stop this pipeline. And they did. And when I tell you that was the most inspiring thing to me as someone, again, I went to college and learned about this stuff. So I was like, oh, well, people where I'm from don't really talk about environmental justice issues or Memphis has issues. You know, I know our water's polluted and our air is polluted, but you know, there isn't really a EJ presence there. And to see that this could happen and that it was on us, it's on people to create an environmental justice movement in their cities. And it's on us to care about our neighborhoods and, and not just wait for some big green to swoop up and fix our problems. Um, that really, you know, changed a lot for me and opened my eyes and made me realize that I wanted to work somewhere like PowerShift that was invested in, you know, youth leaders, invested in training folks, invested in getting young people connected to um, environmental justice movements because I learned that, yeah, it, it just takes knowledge. It takes someone saying, hey, I'm not going to take this issue and just accept it. I'm going to get with my community members and we're going to stop it. Um, and ever since then, I've been like, yeah, I think I think climate people are my people. Um, I think that folks who are, you know, putting it all on the line to save this planet and our, each other are, are my people. And so I've been in the movement ever since then. Oh my gosh, that's such a lovely story. Like just the way that you got started, like you're not knowing anything about it. I I think I could find similarities in your story. The fact that I didn't know anything about environmental justice. And it was really like, uh, as a lot of people know, my dad who brought me on and it was, that's how I got involved in it. And that's pretty much, I guess you could say that's my mentor. And he's the one that was like, he just taught me a lot. And now I'm learning from others. Abby, do you have more to say something? Oh, I was just going to say, I completely relate. I relate to yeah. your story, Jasmine. Like, yeah. I was going to echo what Marisha said, um, and I just relate. And I loved what you said about, like, who's going to take care of us, who's caring about us. And that's going to leave, that's going to stay with me for a while. But back to you, Marisha. 
Perfect. So you already kind of touched on it a little bit, but I think you can deep dive into it just a little bit more with these questions. So how did PSN influence your relationship with your uh, your neighborhood or even just learning more about your neighborhood and getting a better understanding of what's going on in your neighborhood, whether that's the neighborhood that was in uh, Memphis or that's your neighborhood now in Texas? And then how can others replicate, replicate your lessons in um, their communities? How can they become more involved? Um, yeah, so like what's some ways that you learned about PSN was some ways that you learned about the devastations that were going on within your communities. Just talk a little bit more about that for the youth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would definitely say that the biggest thing that I've learned from PSN and has been so helpful to me in, in every way is the power of networks. So again, we are Parachute Network. Our whole thing is network theory, which is basically, you know, the idea. So we're not talking about networking in kind of the gross, you know, corporate job, academic way where it's like smooth your way into the right circles. We're talking about who do we know, what resources and skills and knowledge do we have access to and how can we be collectivizing and using our power together? So it's like, well, you know somebody at this organization who's really great at writing grants and you know somebody over here who is like a bomb direct action leader and you know somebody over here who does this other thing. Like, how can we put together that knowledge? We might not have a lot of money, but we know one person who does, you know, or we will know one person who has access to it. Um, and this applies on so many levels, not just at the nonprofit level. It's really huge um, on the community level. So there's this concept uh, most folks, many folks might know of called pod mapping, uh, which is pretty much or, or um, resource mapping or um, what's the other word for it? Uh, basically, this idea, you do the same thing in your neighborhood. You get a bunch of neighbors who are interested in taking care of each other. You say, what resources do we have access to? What knowledge and skills do we have access to? And how can we share that with each other to take care of each other? Well, you, you know, take care of it, kids and um, you, you know how to cook and you know how to grow food. So what, what, let's put throw down together and let's, you know, make this uh, a neighborhood thing right here. That's literally how mutual aid st gets started. That's literally how neighborhood associations get started. And without all those fancy smashy names, that's just in general how we take care of each other. Um, and just seeing the way that PSN puts that into action just really opened my eyes to the fact that wherever you go, wherever you live, if you're new to your neighborhood or if you've lived there your whole life, you can always offer something to your community members and you can always ask and receive support. Because we're humans, you know, we're not in individual list the way they were taught to be by you know this country in many ways like we rely on each other and we need each other and so what I really learned is that like meet your neighbors get to know the folks around you um, get to know the folks in your community um, whether that's your work community your school community your at-home community um, and see how you can be supporting each other because the other thing I've learned from you know being in this kind of work and I'm sure you two can um, probably agree with this too is that we we face a lot of loses we face a lot of losses in the climate which we do not pass every bill you know we do not get the right people elected our elections are honestly laughing at our face half the time the way they get elected and then repeal on all their promises like it is not easy doing this work and we face a lot a lot of losses um and so the other powerful and amazing thing about being in a network is that you see each other's wins and i think that's one little beautiful thing every time i get a little email that this one corner of the climate movement you know stopped this pipeline or got this bill passed or usually the local wins are the ones that make me excited you know we got this zoning ordinance passed or we got money for this community garden or we got you know this polluting plant to stop polluting our neighborhood makes me so happy and again from there my favorite thing is learning from each other. So I'm like, oh, you just won this pipeline fight. And I know these people in these other cities who are facing a pipeline for the first time. They don't know anything. How can I get y'all in conversation with each other? That's how I really first got started 
I'm bridging these two places. So when I found out about the pipeline fight in Memphis, I had just joined PowerShip and I was like, oh, I have access to connections now. Like, let me connect you. Y'all are brand new to this. I don't know what I'm doing. Let me connect you to some folks who have done this pipeline before. And that really was the seed of them winning that fight. We got connected um, to this one group that did, you know, some pro bono lawyering. We got connected to another group who had recently defeated their pipeline and was able to share strategies. Like that is really the heart of all, all social justice work is literally finding who in your community and your pod and your whatever has access to the resources or the knowledge that you need and how can we share that? Um, so that's definitely what I've learned from PSN and what I try to put um, into place in all parts of my life and that I always encourage other folks to do. Wow, 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 wow. Uh, listeners, I had planned, <laughs> I had written some questions down to really get the thing going, but Jasmine here, you've kind of just expanded my mind. So I'm going to throw some questions at you if that's okay. For one, you talk about mutual aid and you talk about how important it is because, I mean, it sounds like what you were describing as mutual aid sounds kind of like how Southerners just kind of interact with each other, especially in small communities. And so it's just, it's really exciting that this is happening and stuff. And, you know, mutual aid, anyone can do that. Anyone, it doesn't matter where you are, how many resources you have, like you can work with your community and with your community, you can become resilient against things that, you know, for example, the climate crisis, the flooding that uh, is happening in Texas right now, or like um, just everything you were saying with the pipeline. It's amazing. Um, with that being said, we talk about, you know, uh, what lessons you have learned. What do you think are some lessons from the youth? And that's a huge umbrella. But what do you think some lessons from the youth um, that we can really learn and pass on to those who don't work with youth often? Like what yeah. is something that we need to know? Yeah, let's see. The first thing that come to mind are one is definitely be open. I, I can't say this enough and I was mentioning this earlier is that like, you know, this is a very basic, you know, racial justice one-on-one, you know, or we use this in every social justice area, but nobody is born prejudiced. No one is born closed off. No one is born, you know, set in their ways. We're all taught different ways. And we're taught to accept status quo. We're taught to accept, you know, laws and authority as written. We're taught to accept so many things that are actually really harmful. We're taught to accept that we should all want cars and big gas guzzlers and all this kind of stuff. And we should all want, you know, a huge distant, you know, off house when in reality, you know, walking cities and public transportation are better for us all. You know, we're all taught things that are actually not that great for us, but young people are so powerful in that their minds are so open. They are so open to new ideas and to new ways of doing things and new ways of thinking. They're open to new ways of understanding each other. And I think that's so beautiful. It's easy to, to not even recognize when you've been closed off to a new idea or when you found yourself jaded until you talk to someone younger than you and you hear their excitement and their curiosity and you're like, wow, like these people just have so much life in them still. And so I'm talking like I'm old. I promise I'm only 22 and I know I'm still young, but I definitely will say that the thing that I can definitely say the most, um, first off, is definitely just the openness to new ideas and new ways of doing things, especially for folks who have been in the climate movement for a long time who feels like they've seen and tried it all I promise you I know I, I know how that feels but I also encourage you to you know like you said if you haven't talked to young people in a while go talk to some young people ask them to brainstorm on the issue you're having even if you think it'll go over their heads and they won't understand I promise you some young person will surprise you with like a one-line answer that solves all your problems and you're like huh how did I not think of that because your brain is like older and closed off and you've already made your mind up about things I promise you that young people have so much to teach um, so that's definitely one thing um, other things that we can learn from young people 
um, are definitely, yeah, just what I was saying earlier, that like young people want a livable planet and they want lives that are livable. I, I'm sure folks have seen so much, especially since the pandemic began and changed so many people's lives that young people aren't interested in working themselves to the bone until they die. Young people aren't interested in working one job their entire lives and being loyal to some company that doesn't care about them. Like young people aren't interested in all of their waking hours being put towards working and then all their free time being put towards consuming and buying and that's supposed to be life like no we're saying no we want better we want livable and thrivable and green communities we want to actually live our lives and not be bogged down by just being you know little worker bees um, we want to enjoy the work that we do we don't want our work to be causing harm to others in order for us to make our penny and, and yeah we just like something that's really been on my mind lately as we want livable communities like even all of us who have had our dream car since we were a kid we all recognize at least a lot of us recognize that we'd be much better off if we lived close to our friends and could walk here and there and could and could take the bus to work and have a little extra reading time or I can go to the grocery store right across the road. I don't have to go across town and get fresh food. Like we, if nothing else, recognize that we deserve access to everything that we need. Um, period. Like that's all. Like we've been taught for so long that you're supposed to earn, you know, access to housing and you're supposed to earn access to a clean environment and you have to have enough money to have access to fresh food. And we're like, actually, how about no? How about we just give people what they need? And I know this might sound like kind of left field, but all of that is a climate crisis. All of that is about climate justice because all of that is about people deserving to have livable environments. Um, so I definitely say that, yeah, young people are really asking us to rethink so many status quos and so many ways that we've just done things just because we were told that's how we're supposed to do things and we're like actually can we kind of rewrite a lot of rules because we can't and I think yeah I think let's listen I think let's listen let's try things the way the young people want to try it for a while we've tried things the old way for a long time it's not working in a lot of ways um so let's you know do some remixing Listen, I know we cannot speak for all young people or all youth sorry Abby I know we cannot speak for all of the youth and whatnot but you have touched so many points that we have had several conversations about and not just within our smaller groups of friends, not just within our our circle of youth people. We have talked about it with people who are generations older and older and just older. You know what I'm saying? We want we want communities that are livable. We want we want breathable, fresh, clean air. We want a life that's uh that's abundant. We just we we want a lot and yes we have we have been set up to kind of have a fight to to oh we gotta fight we gotta fight bad y'all i'm over here shaking i'm spazzing right now but listen i we can do it we can do it and before i jump into my next question i'm gonna let abby take it go ahead well, I was just going to say, first of all, clean air, clean water, a livable future is not a lot to ask for. <laughs> like, I feel like right? <laughs> I feel like that's kind of the bare minimum um, and we should be demanding it. But what I was going to say to everything Jasmine was saying, talking about livable communities, what's crazy is that it seems like young people and we're being very general about young people, obviously, but Young people, it's like we're trying to remember something that used to be natural for us. Communities used to be very walkable. Cars did not exist all the time. I mean, things were built close together. Houses used to be built in a way where it was in, it was interactive with the environment around it. Sorry if you hear my dog in the background. She's just agreeing with me. That's all. That's all. That's all I wanted to say. 
Pass it back We're to you. We're all agreeing with you, Abby. We're all agreeing with you too, Jason. We are agreeing, agreeing, agreeing. <laughs> Absolutely. And Abby, I love the way you put that, that we're really just trying to return to, you know, how things used to be. I'm 100% like all about that. Like, honestly, a lot of what we're saying is that like the stuff that we've come up in the last hundred years, what we thought we were pushing forward in progress, we're actually regressing. Let's, let's back it up. Let's simplify things. Let's stop with all the, you know, the extra stuff that is really not making our lives more livable. And let's get back to, and again, we're not trying to, you know, romanticize, you know, simple life. But we're recognizing that, you know, we need to stop being, you know, moving as if the world is going to give us limited, unlimited resources. And we need to stop moving as if, you know, the preciousness of this earth that we have is in contaminant is like impossible to contaminate because it is it's possible. And there are ways of living that don't harm our environment so, so much. And I think, yeah, that's all we want is to go back to a way to where we're in right relation with the planet we live on, you know, for sure. And we don't want to go back to all the isms. Um, duh, like obviously the ism still exists, but it's like you said, we want to remember, but also remix. I love remix. I'm going to use that forever. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So Jasmine, before we jump off, we just ask our guest this last very simple, yet maybe a little complicated question. And that is what gives you hope? And for this um, this conversation specifically, what gives you hope that the kids will be all right? Uh, this is a really great question. I literally, I just wrote a blog post for a piece in about this a couple weeks ago. Um, there's this concept called revolutionary optimism that I'm like obsessed with. Um, and I've been, it's really been getting me through tough times lately. And basically, you know, please go look it up yourselves. This is kind of a rough paraphrasing, but revolutionary optimism is basically this idea that the best way to fight all the doom and gloom of the world that we're living in is to like do something about it. And again, hear me out, hear me out. I 100% am one of those people. I struggle with feeling like the weight of the world is on my shoulder and I single-handedly have to solve all the world's problems. And this is not that. This is 100% not that. This is not saying that you are going to go out there and save the world or that you have that responsibility. But revolutionary optimism, what it's saying is that you feel so much better and so more, much more optimistic when you get out there with your community, with whatever time that you have, whatever energy and resources you have, and do a little something. So if you're feeling so gloomy, if you have enough time to go to a food bank once a week, then go to a food bank once a week. If you have enough time to organize with your neighbors to, to petition for a new park in your neighborhood, then go do that. If you just have enough time to send 10 bucks to a mutual aid fund every month, then do that. Again, I'm not saying this is going to be a, a fix-all for everybody, but I have truly found that there is so much more hope and optimism available to me and that I'm able to access and don't feel like there's a wall between me and that hope when I get out there and I see that there are other people like me who actually do care about our community, about our planet, that I'm not just alone losing my mind watching the news because it seems like the folks who are supposed to make these decisions like don't care about us or the planet at all and that just feels so like exhausting but then I get out there and I'm like wait a minute you know let me let me see the real people that I care about and I'm also in this movement for and let me see how we how good we can take care of each other let's see how good it can get and it makes such such a difference so I definitely say you know the kids will be all right because the kids are putting their heads together and they are fighting for the world they want to live in we've all seen in recent years everything from kids organizing walkouts at their schools to get their teachers paid more and to get guns out of schools. We've seen kids do hunger strikes um, to try to save the planet. We've seen kids do so, so, so much um, 
to try to create a livable world. And that's 100% revolutionary optimism. That's me seeing that, wow, there are young people who just all they need is a little bit of support, a little bit of resources, a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of training and openness from folks who are older than them. And they are literally going to change this world. And again, this is not me trying to put the weight of the world on one generation's shoulders or say that anybody listening to this, you know, you have to go out there and do something. And because you haven't been involved in your community lately, then you're part of the problem. Like, I'm not saying that at all. But all I'm saying is if you're feeling really heavy and, and gloomy and it's becoming really hard to see a reason why or to keep pushing in this kind of work, I challenge you to go out there, go out there with a the community in person if you're safe and able to do so. And if not, there are so many other creative ways to do so um, and get involved somewhere and see how much it opens your mind and your heart to like, wow, you know, there are other people who care and there are other people who also want to, to change the world and to live in a more and more livable and better world. And being just in community and in camaraderie with folks like that, it gives me all the hope for